the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. National Signing Day 2021, the conclusion of the 2021 recruiting cycle. We do still have a few stragglers out there. You know, you've got uh, some that will be committing later in the week. I know we've got a couple Friday commitments that are still hanging out there. You've also got the uh, number one prospect in the class who has not set a date based on my understanding. We're just assuming later this spring uh, for defensive lineman JT Tuamoa Loau. And, uh, and as we're so, sort of putting the pieces back together, there's um, a, a couple different places to start. Uh, Bud, you've got a winners and losers column available on cbsports.com that all the listeners, if you have not seen it already, should absolutely go and check out. We've got some storylines that uh, sort of have continued and paid off in ways that we might have predicted if you listen to our signing day storylines coming into the day. Uh, I want to start with the obvious because it sometimes gets a little bit dramatic and might not be until a 2 p.m. announcement, might not be until a a 3 or 4 p.m. announcement that you feel like you can declare the number one class for that year, right? Like, you know, especially if it's one of those years where uh, I remember back in, you know, 2013, 14, 15, like if USC was in the mix, you had a West Coast guy. But not only were we able to solidify Alabama as the number one class in this 2021 cycle, but we were able to solidify that Alabama had the highest rated class ever. The entire 24-7 sports database library, the recruiting rankings era, and it happened when Kamar Wheaton put pen to paper, which was like at 10 a.m., right? Eastern time. I mean, Kamar Wheaton, uh, you know, there was maybe some whispers that I guess Oklahoma was trying to get in there a little bit late, but, uh, man, talk about just sort of playing out the string in terms of the drama of these announcements Uh, Alabama does, bud, which you set up could happen. They beat the 2010 Florida recruiting class loaded on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, highest rated class to this point. And the thing that stands out the most to me is not necessarily how easily it went down, but that across this class, their player average is like 96. I mean, there's just there, there's no bad choices uh, in terms of a prospect within this class. Stupid. The, yeah, Chip, you, you nailed it. This is not a uh, quantity over quality thing. This is a all quality and a whole lot of quantity uh, of that quality in this class. So Alabama does have the number one recruiting class of all time. As of this recording, they could even add to it, by the way, if, if Teron Arnold elects to sign with the Tide coming up in a couple hours, the uh, five-star safety out of Tallahassee, uh, who is down to Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. 
Uh, or if JT, that you know, our number one player in the top two four seven uh, defensive end out of Seattle, if he decides to pick Alabama, they could certainly add to it again there. And I know they would take him. But the the balance in this class is it's just stupid. They they have the the top two offensive tackles in the country, and J.C. Latham and, and Tommy Brockermeyer. They have the number two guard, Terrence Ferguson, who they got out of Georgia. They got the number one center, James Brockermeyer, who are both Texas legacies. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, now that Kyle Flood and Steve Sarkeesian are at Texas, you know, I, I, if you hit them with the truth serum, I, I wonder you know, how they feel about it. They probably feel pretty good about their choice because of, of how well Nick Saban does at developing talent. Uh, but they, you know, they, they get four top 10 receivers so far in Ja'Cory Brooks, Jai Hall, Christian Leary and JoJo Earl. Uh, and then they get the number two running back, as you mentioned, in Kamara Wheaton. This is just, this is nuts. They, they, every single national, or excuse me, every single class that Nick Saban has signed in Tuscaloosa has gone on to win the national title Stupid. in at least one of their four years. Nine, I think it's, I think Nick Saban's got nine number one recruiting classes and seven national championships. Um, yep. Six of the top 10 all time. Uh, this year, he has 15 of the top 91 players in the country. <laughs> That's like one in six. Oh my gosh! Um, so seven five stars already. But I, we're, we're not even done with today. There, there's uh, there's one thread that you mentioned there with uh, the, with Brock Meyer that I wanted to to pull on, and especially you know, like you mentioned with Steve Sarkeesian taking over. So. In this class, there are seven blue chip players from the state of Texas, including four of the top 15 in the state. Now, Alabama going into Texas is not new, right? I mean, was it? We've got like a, like Jalen Hurts is from Texas. Uh, Jalen Waddle's from, right? Jalen Waddle from Texas as yep. well. Yes, uh, he is. Like they, they have, you know, that's, it's not that far. It is part of the regional footprint and with the talent, uh, rich state that Texas can be, the fact that Alabama, the top recruiting program in the sport going in there is, is not a huge surprise. But is, is this like even unique? And is this last call? for an Alabama and maybe even an Ohio state to be able to continue to have that advantage that they have in Texas. Do you see the new Longhorn staff maybe having an impact where that's not going to be there as much for Alabama in the future? I, I, I don't, uh, wow. I, I, I don't think this is the last call at all. Um, I mean, look, Tom Herman came to Texas with more fanfare than and Steve Sharkeesian did. And Nick Saban and Urban Meyer and Ryan day said, I don't care. I'm, I'm going, I'm going down to the Longhorn state and, uh, and taking, Taking what I want to take. Jimbo Fisher came in there, you know, tries to keep the guys in state. Has done a good job. Still, Alabama and Ohio State come in there, and and uh, they do a really good job of, of taking who they want. They land Donovan. Ohio State lands Donovan Jackson. Alabama lands the Brockermeyer twins and, and or you know and, and Kamara Wheaton uh, and JoJo Earl. It's it's pretty crazy. And if you if you flip the page to next year, Ohio State already has the number one quarterback in the country in, in Quinn Ewers and the number one receiver in the country in Caleb Burton, both the, both of whom are from Texas. Stupid. It's not slowing down. All right, so one more thread from this that I, I know I want to ask, and, and if there's uh, other pieces to this Alabama class that you want to point out, let's definitely get there. So a discussion on the 24-7 Sports show, uh, Josh Pate, Steve Wiltfong, uh, Trey Scott all you know, helped – 
hold my hand. You know, you got me prepped, but as I'm going through my day, that was my number one go-to spot. That was what I had up on the screen to be able to follow the rhythms of the day. And during some of the downtimes, you know, you're just kicking around topics. And I believe Trey, he said, okay, for my money, and I'm paraphrasing here, he said the 2017 Alabama class, like that, that might be the gold standard, not only in terms of uh, it was highly rated, but what that class went on to do, the players they ended up uh, becoming, you know, and, and that is uh, Jerry Judy, Ruggs, Devonta Smith, Najee Harris, uh, Alex Leatherwood, Dylan Moses, Tua Tagovailoa, um, you Mac know, Jones, Mac Jones as well. <laughs> so they got two national championships and one runner up, you know, finishing in the national championship game with a loss to Clemson. Do you think that the 2020 class can accomplish as much as the 2017 class? Because while the 2020 class right now is the highest rated recruiting class of all time, I feel like they are immediately going to be trying to um, live up to a standard that has been set by this 2017 class, which might be the most accomplished or one of the most accomplished recruiting classes of all time. So if you're a betting man, which I am, (laughs) I would say that they absolutely can live up to it. Now, will they? I, look, it's it's always unlikely that you're going to go in there and win multiple national titles and, and produce you know multiple Heisman winners. That that's just typically doesn't happen. Uh, but I, I would say ultimately, you know, not not likely that they that they're able to pull that off. But then again, do you really want to bet against Nick Saban when you're giving him the most amount of raw talent that he's ever signed in a single class? I don't. No, I don't. Like we don't, and we, I guess we were talking in a meeting recently. It was like, when's Nick Saban going to retire? I I don't know if I'm Nick Saban and I've just signed this recruiting class. I've got at least three to four more years where I would like to see what this class can become because it it certainly has a, certainly has all the makings of being able to uh, accomplish as much. Anything else from the Alabama class that really stood out to you? Not not really. Uh, In looking back at the 2017 class, maybe one thing, um, that class did not turn out to be as good of a defensive football class uh, than you know than, than some of the other ones have. Um, that class was primarily carried by offense. There were some good defensive players, but you also had some dudes along the defensive line and in the front seven kind of flame out. And I think this class has nice depth on the defensive side of the ball, but it, it's still off, very much offensive focus. So we'll have to see if, if the defensive side can live up to its end of the bargain, but I, I think it probably will. There was um, an interesting narrative and storyline to track, which has been, uh, there's so many tentacles to it in terms of the impact of the pandemic and on this COVID season and this COVID recruiting cycle. But the, the what it has done for coaches truly seems to be the, year, the, the old phrase is year zero. And we're not just seeing it with a Shane Beamer at South Carolina. We're also seeing it with the coaches who were year one coaches already. I, I think Florida State finished or is sitting as we're recording like around 30 or something. Like is uh, Mike Norvell, seems like it was an uphill battle for him. I mean, he's gonna he's going to the transfer portal. He's trying to address some needs. Certainly Mackenzie Milton's the headliner right there. And there's a few other players that I think are going to allow the Seminoles to have a little bit more on-field success. But I mean, could you find any year one, year zero, you know, year two coach. Like it, it seems as though everyone who is not entrenched uh, with those built-in relationships with the high school coaches around, it, it looked like it was an uphill battle for pretty much everybody. 
Yeah, uh, you, you you really nailed it, Chip. And I, I think you have to separate year one from year two. Like your year zero, who are the guys who just got hired in the last two months, and then your your year one, the guys who were hired, you know, w- w- within the last year or so. Um, those are are guys who really struggled this year because they they never had a chance to go out and meet these guys in person. If you were lucky, you had maybe one or two junior days in January, February, March, where you had some kids get up to your campus. But you, you due to when the pandemic hit, you were never able to get off campus. I mean, how many of these kids in Florida State's class have ever met Mike Norvell in person? I bet you less than half. Wow. Right? I, I mean, and that that's – they have – what are they? The, I think they're the second highest recruiting class of anybody who who – you know, whose first season was 2020. Um, and they're, they're at 17. They're, they're, yeah, they're 22nd right now. They, they have 17 commits, you know, average player rating of, of 88.5, which I think is probably the highest of they're second, any, any of the, the, the coaches out there. Are they second Ole behind Miss, like, Ole Miss? 19th, but 87, yeah. you know, because they have 24 kids. What we saw was uh, because of these lack of relationships, a lot of these staffs purposely went and they, decided not to sign a whole bunch of kids. And I, I've been writing about this really since since April, right? When, when we realized this pandemic thing might be pretty serious. And um, the word we were getting was, you know, hey, uh, why do I want to take a, m- make a potential four-year mistake on a kid that I've never seen? I've never worked out, right? I, I, I don't know what he's like in person. I, I don't know if he's, if he's a quitter or if he's somebody who, who want, wants to, you know, wants to grind and, and, and strain through stuff. When I could take a kid who may not have as high of a ceiling, right? But I know he at least knows how to compete at the college level. He knows how to practice at the college level. He knows how to show up, how to work out, how to eat. You know, he may not be a superstar, but he but he's going to help me fill a hole on my roster. We, we saw a lot of these guys who are year zero, year one coaches do this. Um, Florida State signed seventeen. Washington with Jimmy Lake, they took fifteen. Auburn took just fourteen. As of this recording, South Carolina only has 12 kids as of this recording. And look, they'll, they'll add one or two more. I think most of these classes will that, that I just mentioned. FSU may be done um, high school wise, but you're talking about some of these schools electing to go 50% high school, 50% transfer. Nobody who's a year zero or year one coach signed a top 15 class this year. Wow. That's, That's pretty wild. And in Ole Miss at number 19, is your uh is is all coming from the december signing day was one of the big stories and remains yeah. one of the big stories right i mean that's like the the fact that uh lane kevin has been able to do that not only with the um hurdles of being a year one coach but the it's sure it sure seems like they've made waves and i it didn't I didn't see too much that would sway us uh, one way or another, though uh, obviously I know they've got one big fish left on the board that uh, probably would change, if nothing else, how they feel about the day. But, I mean, this is still a really good Rebels class, right? It is a good Rebels class. Um, so if you look historically, they're at, what, 19 right now, I think you said? Yes. Um, you know, if you pull it up historically, where 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 is Ole Miss, right? When they were recruiting like crazy under Hugh Freeze, they signed classes that were eighth, fifth, you know, but then they also had two that were 15th and 17th mixed in there. You know, more recently due to some of the probation stuff, you know, 31, 32, 22, 34. So this is certainly, you know, a, a step in the right direction. Um, it's also fair to note that this is a, a bit of a volume class, right? Oh they yeah. Where 20, you mentioned they, 17 or 18, aren't they at like 26? 
Uh, they're at 24, and they're also taking a transfer. They're still very much in it, and maybe the favorite for Taiwan Malone, who's going to sign uh, with somebody about two hours after we finish recording this. But they did do a really nice job down the stretch, right? I, I think Lane Kiffin successfully established an identity of a fast-paced, exciting offense. He garnered some attention by wearing uh, you know, the Mary Flipmas shirt. They managed to flip Luke Altmaier, you know, from the team we were just talking about, Florida State and Mike Norvell. Um, I think Dink Jackson is a solid get for them in their three safety defense out of the state of Florida. And, you know, Braylon Brown's a nice receiver as well. They, they, they have some, some solid players. MJ Daniels as well, very, a, a very nice safety who, who we, we like a lot at 24-7 sports. So they've done a nice job there. Um, it is kind of tough to be in that division, but it's always been tough to be in that division. I mean, they're, they're one of their better classes in their history this year and they're not in the top 15 and they're staring up and, you know, three other teams in their division are, are recruiting like gangbusters. Speaking of uh, historical averages, Wisconsin, uh, you know, we talk about Alabama having the top rated class in, you know, the, the whole 24 seven sports recruiting rankings era, Wisconsin with its best class in Wisconsin recruiting history within that 24-7 sports, that database, that recruiting rankings era. And the thing that I absolutely love about it is that we got just like no, uh, and we knew some of this going into the day, but like we just have three stud offensive linemen right at the top of the class. We're going 6'8", 295, number 15 player in the country. We're going 6'7", 285, number one player out of the state of Wisconsin. And we're going 6'7", 290, number one player out of the state of Minnesota. When we talk about beefing them up and bowling them over, uh, this is... Take me into the numbers about why this is, you know, one of the higher rated class, the highest rated Wisconsin class. And, you know, or do you like it? Does it uh, seem to lead you one way or the other in terms of expectations for the Badgers moving forward? Is this something where Wisconsin leveled up for a year because they had a couple of, uh, you know, in-state, the um, a couple connections, you know, there's some family connections within this class. Uh, what was your read on the Badgers? Hell yeah. I like it, Chip. I mean, they, they this is their, their highest ready class ever, right? Their previous highly ready class, I believe was what 29th or 26th. So they are, are blowing away their, their, their prior mark. They're, they're finally taking some of that success that we see on the field and, uh, you know, turning it into recruiting success, which, Assuming that they're still getting the right kind of guys, that you know, the OKGs that fit what they want to do, um, you know that's that's pretty big. Uh, Nolan Rucci, as you mentioned, there was a family connection there that they beat out Penn State for that five-star offensive tackle, six eight two ninety-five, out of Pennsylvania. But his brother is a tight end on the team, and and in the pandemic, where where else are you going to go? But but the place that you know you like because your brother says, "Hey, I'm, I'm I play here. It's real. The coaches are are are, are good to me and." Like that's just that's extra comforting for him. They did a couple other good things that that, that I do like. Uh, a, they recruited their own backyard very well in a year that was pretty talented for the state of Wisconsin. Wisconsin normally does not have this many sort of medium to high four star type players, and Wisconsin cleaned up within its own state this year. Did a nice job of that. They also recruited very well, you know, with within the Big Ten. They they, they got T.J. Bowlers from Iowa, right? They they got. Um, they got Marcus Allen from Ohio. They, they, they got Jake Ratzlaff from Minnesota and, and another good kid from Minnesota. And 
you know, certainly Minnesota would have liked to have those players. Uh, Ohio, you know, Ohio State doesn't really recruit Ohio quite as much as they used to, although they did a nice job with the very top kids there. But the, there are nice prizes to be had in Ohio if you're in sort of that kind of 12 to 20 range as a recruiter. And those are the type of kids Ohio State's probably not going to take, but you can get in there and you can make a good living doing that, you know, much like Kentucky has at some point. So Wisconsin certainly uh, this year is a team that, that has shined, and they are they are starting to pull away a little bit talent-wise from the rest of the West. From their end, starting. it felt like I heard uh, Minnesota mentioned as being in the running for a few of the guys. And look, the general, you know, the, the caliber of athlete that we were tuned in for the announcements for, it, it wasn't a bunch of five stars. I mean, it was a bunch of four-star guys. It was a bunch of guys that were between, you know, Penn State, Minnesota, and Washington. Um, I guess that would be Devon Townley, right? Who ended up going with Penn State. And he yep. made a point to, he said, he was, I want to thank Minnesota in particularly that coaching staff. You know, they were really good to me. Um, you know, it was, it was interesting just to reframe the battles that seemed to be going on with 200, hold on, let me, 217 of the 200 top 247 players gone. You know, we're not dealing with as many of the big dogs who are flipping between Alabama, Ohio state, Georgia hats. It, it is a lot of, uh, seemingly important program development guys who are going to come in and, and take somebody in that 15 to 20, 25 range and, and hopefully be really, really good in a couple years. No, you're, you're exactly right about that. They're, they're doing a good job and, and it's, this was a hard year for everybody, right? And, and it, it's, a, it's a weird year to judge. You, you really need to dig into each class individually and think, okay, what, what were the circumstances surrounding this? What were their goals? Are, are they a team that is you know, sort of in win-now mode? Are they trying to plug some holes? Or, or do they have the support from their administration to go all high school and no transfers? There's, there's a lot of factors to consider. Coming up on the other side, Jimbo Fisher, famous for being a good closer. How did Texas A&M close, and and what is that class starting to look like for the Aggies, who are in the number five spot in the final college football playoff rankings and a number four spot in the final AP poll? It's a national national title contender down there in College Station. What does the future look like for the Aggies and more storylines, winners and losers with Bud Elliott next? The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So LJ Johnson is committed to Texas A&M. You mentioned Texas A&M is also in the running for Taiwan Malone. That'll be coming up a little bit later. That's a Texas A&M or Ole Miss. Am I just pulling that from like the old Barton Simmons, uh, the the old Barton Simmons library of like taglines? Because he put in my head that Jimbo Fisher is a good closer. And and with your long time. Okay. All right. So that is, that is not totally misguided that I just like ran with. That's, what what goes into that? What makes Jimbo Fisher a good closer and allows him to be able to step in at Texas A and M and and still be able to have that reputation, still be able to to keep that thing going um, in your eyes? Well, I, I think a lot of it is you know building relationships, right, and and, and maintaining those relationships, showing proof of concept. Um, look, we, we we've spoken a lot about how A and M's offense. Their passing game, explosive, you know, explosion-wise, was atrocious the last three years, really, since he's been there. But one thing that, that has been consistent is AM has had a very good run game, an explosive run game, and LJ Johnson is a guy who just saw AM's offensive line uh, be one of the best in college football this year. And they they give the ball to their backs a lot. You can be a running back and get 20 plus carries a game at Texas AM. They're, they're kind of old school in that way. And, and that certainly has its appeal. To running back, so then landing L.J. Johnson was was a big deal today. That they managed to beat out Texas. I think that's a that's an important one, no doubt. Um, and that, that's going to take their class. And let's see, have we updated our, our overall rankings yet? Looks like he's not been added into that, but he is in their class. So we'll, we'll see when the overall rankings. I'll, I'll keep hitting uh, refresh, but I my guess is that they will pass USC here and jump up to uh, jump up to seventh, which would be an awesome if they finish there. An, another top ten class for Texas A&M with the potential to go higher with, like you said, Taiwan Malone coming. By the way, uh, guys, we're on Spotify, and we are trying to hit a certain number of Spotify subscribers, so make sure to hit us up on Spotify. Spotify is a great app for podcasts, and it's not just music. Podcasts are on there. I love to use it. I can switch between my music and my podcasts whenever I want. Hit us up on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe. Follow us and stream. Follow us and stream our podcasts on Spotify. You mentioned USC. Man, this kind of felt like a like a return of the Trojans kind of class, and and there's a couple players that really stand out, and it's the nature of the way this went because Corey Foreman, um, five star player, originally commits to Clemson, decommits from Clemson, kind of beginning pandemic, ends up signing with the Trojans, and then today, Rajon Davis, a uh, linebacker, four star linebacker, but really good player based on everything I can tell, um, he was committed to LSU, decommits from LSU and decides to stay in California. So where uh, USC was in a position where they were losing a lot of the top players in the state of California, well, they did a very, very good job in the state of California with this class. Uh, 13 players uh, in the class right now, and as you mentioned, they are uh, a top 10 class. They are... uh, the, the little piece of trivia that you threw out earlier, you know, how, how many conferences actually have two top 10 teams? Well, Pac-12 is one of them. Thanks, because Oregon also had a an absolutely killer class uh, this year. They got things started early with uh, Avante... 
Dickerson. Dickerson. That's right. Well, four-star cornerback. So USC has this like sort of resurgence feel on the recruiting trail where it seemed like they were able to uh they were able to take that 5 and 0 regular season. They were able to take the success that they had, especially I think about on the defensive side of the ball where they had just reworked the defensive staff. They just made a bunch of changes and a name that I had not put my finger on yet that I, I know now from watching the 24 seven sports show is Dante Williams, the associate head coach uh, and the cornerbacks coach there. Steve Wiltfong said that Dante Williams is, is relentless. He was aggressive and, and he got a lot of flowers from Wiltfong in terms of being the spearhead of, of bringing the, uh, some California love back into this, uh, this Trojans class. I mean, do you, do you see, do you see it the same way that this is, really important and uh how do you see usc that they got to this place where they're right back to where we're used to being in the top 10 i i do think it's really important for for a number of reasons first for usc that they were 64th in recruiting last year that is like not even close to their second worst finish ever i i have all their finishes here you shouldn't have to hit load more that's that's my rule on uh it's like the load more standard is when you go through the 24 7 sports team rankings if i have to hit load more to get to your team then it was not a good season how many times you have to click page down is usually a uh usually an indication it out so usc was 64th in recruiting last year their average over 20 years is like fourth so something was up and their coaches did not have great relationships with some of the players. They had to do a better job with it. They went out and made some important staff changes. They were able to connect with their local recruits better. They, they, they got some guys, as you mentioned, who are real dogs on the trail. And, and they, I mean, they just absolutely uh, came back and, and, and hit it out of the park. I, I think this is a, a major win for the Trojans. They, they pick up Rayshon Davis today a player linebacker who I've seen a pretty good bit of on the national seven on seven circuit. You know, he was committed to LSU. He decommits. And I like him because I've seen him play a lot of seven on as, as Greg Biggins. I know he mentioned this on the show today. I mean, he's a, he's a thicker kid, but he covers well in seven on and seven on is where you get exposed in space. If you can't cover, you're going to get exposed in seven on. And he does a nice job there. That, that that's a pretty big get for them. I, I also think the PAC 12, uh, for a long time, it trumpeted its kind of parody, right? And oh, look, look at how balanced we are. Anybody can beat anybody. That's kind of okay for week-to-week excitement within the league, but that's not a way to get national respect. To get national respect, you need two dominant teams or one dominant team and everybody else to get the hell out of the way, right? Look look at Florida State and Clemson when they were going back and forth in the ACC. Who was the third best team? At one of those years, you had Louisville. After that, you had a whole lot of crap for the most part. Uh, and nobody nobody in the that national was the media, Lamars. playoff committee didn't care. We just called them the Louisville Lamars for that year because they went 7-1 right. and one and came like four yards short of maybe being able to beat Clemson, tied for an Atlantic Division title. But that team also, what, lost to Houston? That team lost a couple of non-cons too. It was a, it's a very, very silly team. You're 100% right about that. So if, if USC can emerge as the dominant power in the South, and if Oregon can keep this up in the North, then there's a decent chance, you know, you get two top 10 level teams in the Pac-12 title game. That's something I want to watch. That's something the playoff committee wants to watch. That, that That's how you get back to the playoff. And then once you start making the playoff, then your recruiting can get even better. Maybe one of these teams can threaten for, 
I don't want to say a number one class because obviously, you know, saving, but maybe a number two class at some point. Um, that, that this is a, a nice day for the uh, for the Pac-12. By the way, Coca in, in, in our, our chat, our producer Matt Coca, he says uh, uh, A&M did jump USC for seventh, and uh, for sure. That, well, how that's how do you see everything top. sort of splitting up? Because uh, I know another one. I don't want to like cut you off. I know another one of your winners today. You said it was Michigan's done a, a pretty good job with this class. Michigan, as we're sitting here talking, I believe is up to number ten. Uh, you know, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, this is your top three, LSU, Clemson, Oregon, four through six, USC at seven, Texas A&M at eight, I guess Texas A&M over USC, Notre Dame nine, Michigan 10, Oklahoma, the the top one out. Like how, where do you start to draw those lines? Because I mean, I could just look, I, I could just look at the points, but I don't know if you see it differently in terms of, you know, where the steps down are within that group. I would say the points are are generally a, a pretty good indicator, and I'm not just saying that because I work for 24-7 sports, but they, they, they are. Um, now, a couple things that I would note is you also need to take into account how many commitments a, a class has. If you see somebody who's pretty high, but they, they only have a commitment number in the teens, you know, that, that's probably showing that their you know, pound-for-pound class is, is really good. I would tier it. I mean, it, it's what, 245 on the East Coast right now, so we have a couple more kids left to go. This can change. And we'll see where JT goes. And then JT can certainly, you know, change things up. At present, Alabama's on its own tier, right? I mean, they're the number one class of all time. Right. I think Ohio State's on its own tier. I I, I think they're they're a pretty clear level up from Georgia. And I would say Georgia, LSU, Clemson are sort of on, on their own tier, right? Um Clemson only has 19 commits. They're one of only three schools with an average player rating of 94 plus along with obviously Bama and the Buckeyes. Then I would say there's probably a tier with like Oregon, USC, A&M. If that, that's, that's fair that they're all kind of in that similar range to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll, I'll have zero or one five-star. I'll have quite a few four-star players. And then I, I think there's another drop off after, after that six, seven, eight of Oregon, A&M, USC to that, Notre Dame, Michigan range where like they're not quite as good, but they're still very solid classes. Notre Dame actually took 27 guys this year, which is a very large high school class, you know, for them. Um, and then, you know, you kind of get going down. Then it gets even harder because Oklahoma only took 16 players. Oklahoma is another one of these guys that said, you know what? We're kind of in win now mode. We like what we have coming back. We need to, to supplement our roster now with transfers. I think OU can take up to like seven or eight transfers. Based per, on the space there. Per have. player, they are better than number four LSU. Right. Exactly. I mean, that that that's that's to my point of you have to also consider the per player average, especially in a year where we have a, a much greater variance in terms of class size than we normally would. Normally we don't see, you know, some of these top 20 classes taking 15 kids and some taking 28. Like the, usually the, the band of class size is tighter. Mm. Interesting. Who else uh, stood out from the winners and losers that we haven't gotten a chance to uh, to get to? So we already hit AM, uh, who I, I think could be an even bigger winner if they're able to get Malone uh, or uh, the uh, number one offensive tackle who's going to decide uh, on Friday morning. Uh, he's actually in Australia, so that'll be interesting. I got to figure out what 1 p.m. Australia time actually equates to. Uh, we talked about Michigan, how they're able to, to overcome all the Harbaugh issues and uh, they kept him and they retooled their staff and they, they had multiple flips along the defensive line today. 
they're running that Baltimore Ravens defense. We'll see how that works out, but the recruits certainly bought into it. So I think that was a uh, that was an important storyline there, you know, winners wise. Um, Jackson State, Dion School, eighty fourth in the country. They uh, they they picked up a lot of players who uh, were at one point committed to Power Five schools, and then I think we're pretty much told by those schools, hey, you don't have a spot any longer mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I'm not going to speculate exactly why, because I don't think that the reason is necessarily the same for all of them. Uh, but like, maybe they have some guys who couldn't necessarily get into some of these Power Five schools. But I've seen some of these guys they have, and they could play, right? Like they're if. If, if, if Dion can coach and if they get the, all these guys into school and they get them to all come together and, and play as a team, the, the base level of talent here is so far like above and away what a, a, a typical HBCU is, is, is able to get. I mean, it's, I've seen Trevante Rucker. I've seen a lot of these guys they have, and it's it's just a different level of talent. Now, we'll see if they can all coalesce, right? If, yeah. if this is a team of, you know, of mercenaries because they're taking, what, 14 transfers, which is a ton. Uh, but I, I think that's going to be very interesting. And Coca just put in the chat that Barstool is doing a last chance you slash hard knocks on that school this year, which is kind of what I figured would happen because, you know, Dion was involved with Barstool, and then I know he wanted to get into coaching, and it, that, that's – that's must-watch TV for me. I mean, um, I, to, to see all these kids I know try to all work together at that school. I mean, if they want to send the Cover Three podcast to go see what's up, we'll go be embedded and see what happens. You know, I, is it going to go the way of Prime Academy? I hope not. Like, is it going to go like you know? Is he going to be able to coalesce? Is he going to be able to coach? I think those are all very important questions. Uh, another coconut from earlier: Jackson State, one spot ahead of South Carolina in the current rankings right now. Um, I would love to see. I would love to see Jackson State with Dion be successful because to have it be and and I think that I don't know what I would define as successful, but to have it be all promise and no delivery would be uh, a little bit of a bummer and not not necessarily uh, good. Like it, it, for it to be a sideshow, I think would be really really disappointing for the hire in general, and then also. Um, just sort of the future of some of those conferences. Yeah. And I, I don't have any indication that it is, uh, you know, something that they're just doing for TV purposes. Uh, I, I really hope, you know, that these kids are, are making the right choice and that, that Dion and his staff are, are able to coach them up. Uh, by the way, uh, South Carolina did pass them up uh, just now. They, they picked up a 13th commit. So to our point from earlier, the Gamecocks only have 13 commits, which on the one hand, like, didn't you fire Muschamp? way early in the season in the cycle so you could get somebody in and start to start to recruit. So from that perspective, they kind of failed. And didn't uh, everybody leave? Like didn't they yeah. only have a lot of scholarships available? They did. And and they they also had some coaches leave, I think, who they, they tried to hire and you know they, they they ended up bouncing elsewhere. Um but I will say that it also feels like they kind of punted a little bit. Uh they'll be able to take a much larger class next year after hopefully being able to see some of these kids in person. And they also have a lot of room for transfers. I, I, I don't think, you know, having a different approach here is bad at all. I, I think it's kind of smart, actually. The uh, you mentioned earlier having the administration on board, like the, it, it is a case by case basis, from what I understand, from talking to you and being, 
you know, on, on the consuming as much of this information as possible. It's always a little bit of a crash course for me going into and in, in being on national signing day, but the, the way that um, we have to change our expectations from program to program and actually look maybe even uh, under, uh, under some rocks behind the scenes and try and figure out, well, you know what the game plan is. It's uh, it really is a national signing day. Unlike any other. It is. And, and so this is something that, that is, is multi, multifaceted, right? So but I think it's really important to the sport of college football. Um, and so I'm going to just explain this for the listeners. This, this is a little bit long-winded, but I'm going to try to just break it down like we did before the show. So for 2021, the NCAA said these, these guys who were 2020 seniors, they can come back and play an extra year due to COVID. It was the NCAA's capitulation to the players to say, hey, if you play this year and you only get to play – you know, three games or something, you're not going to lose a year of eligibility. Everybody gets to come back free because at one point the players weren't sure if they wanted to play, or at least some of them weren't. So that's awesome. And I, I fully support their, their being willing to come back and, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and able to come back. Now, the issue is they don't count against the 85 scholarship cap at all. Like they're basically, they, they don't exist basically for, for your accounting purposes, according to the NCAA. But the money you spend on their scholarships is real. And for a lot of administrations out there, they are telling their staffs privately, and these are mostly group of five schools, but a couple power fives as well. They're saying, uh, guys, no, we're, we're not going over 85. I know the NCAA says you can, but it doesn't mean that, that we will. Like, So pick which super seniors, if you will, you want to come back. And for each one you take back, that is one fewer high school player you can sign. So that's one major reason I think why a lot of these high school classes this year are so small. And I was doing some back the napkin math. We're going to have a couple hundred fewer division one signees this year, chip than we normally are. But does that make normally do, does that make like a, the group of five better? Do they get bumped down to FCS? Like do those players trickle down to to G five? And I definitely think there's some trickle down to FCS for sure. Um, And we, we also know junior colleges are, are being more and more picky this year. Like we, we've been hearing from junior college coaches that they are like the grades that the junior college colleges are taking this year are higher than normal because you're having some kids with pretty okay grades relative to normal get in and say, hey, I don't, coach, I don't have a spot. I'm just going to go to JUCO and wait it out. The other reason why we're having such small classes is because of the portal, right? You have all these kids jumping into the portal because they, they know that they're going to be immediately eligible in the fall. And so if every school out there saves two spots for the portal, that's 260 fewer, fewer kids than you can normally sign in a recruiting class. And if, let's say, I don't know, a third of the schools out there are told, hey, you can't exceed the 85, and they each want to take you know, two super seniors back, right? Well, a, 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 thir- a third of, you know, of 130 is like, what, 40-something, double that. So it's like 90. So you're looking at, you know, 250 and 90, let's just call it 350 kids whose spots are going to be filled either by returning super seniors, you know, COVID seniors, I guess maybe a better term, uh, or, or transfer portal candidates. Like, so that, that is creating quite the scholarship crunch. And next year, by the way, I'm about to write on this for 24 seven sports next year, the NCAA is probably not going to leave it up to the schools if they want to bring back, you know, in excess of 85 next year, they're like, they're going to say, Hey, you can bring them back, but they're going to count against the 85, which is going to create an across the board, 
uh, crunch. So we, we, we are not out of the woods here on, on this by a long shot. Jeez. Um, Does that make sense? I, I, I know it's, it's, there's some math there and, and some kind of bylaw stuff, but. No, I don't think it's a bylaw. I mean, anybody who's uh, recruited on uh, on NCAA football has had to cut a five star because you've recruited too many five stars. Yeah, you know when it's time to cut player rosters. I remember on the game, it's down to seventy, and I'd always come in with seventy nine players, and I'd be like, "Well, shoot, sorry, I understand that uh, that the game says you're a gym, according to my great scouting, but." Uh, you're, you're the lowest ranked player on this roster. You got to go. Now, this scholarship crunch, I think I think a good amount of fans understand it. Okay, cool. For sure. Um, all right, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, not really. Uh, if you guys want to have some fun, I don't know where he's going to sign yet. Probably Ole Miss or A&M, long shot, Florida State. Go pull up uh, Tywin Malone's baseball clips. Those are fun. This you said dude, he's three, yeah, because he's 310? He can hit. Yeah, yeah. He, he he's he, he's he's like 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 legit. You know, three hundred. Like th- think if Mo Vaughn was in a little bit better shape. Um, <laughs> that's a throwback name. He, he's he's got some exit exit velocity for sure. For sure. You can follow him on Twitter at Bud Elliott three. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. As always, twenty four seven sports is your home for all things recruiting. The twenty twenty two cycle. I mean news breaking today so it's, it's already off and running so be sure that uh you go and get a 24 7 sports subscription uh go find your favorite team site and listen to their team podcast as well but thank you very much Jordan chip Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.